God will deliver your enemies into your hand because he loves you. Welcome to It's Time, the daily Bible teaching program of Mike Kessler, pastor of the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today, we're going through his series called Close Encounters with Jesus. So, get ready to follow along in your Bible as we join Pastor Mike. And if you have your Bible this morning, I'd like to invite you to open them to the book of John. Book of John, chapter 8. John 8. We're going to talk about who is Jesus. You know, the Bible says in John 5, Search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but they are which testify of me. And so really, when we look at the Old Testament Scriptures, we always look for Jesus on every page. And I believe that's what's really important. Well, let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we now look at your word, may your Holy Spirit now come. And may you touch our lives. And may we never be the same because we have heard your word. And because, God, it goes into our hearts and it changes us from the inside out. And so now may your Holy Spirit change us. Encourage us, strengthen us, and heal us in Jesus' name. Amen. We're kind of doing a little bit of a mini-series called Close Encounters with Jesus. What we find here in chapter 8, Jesus is talking with the Pharisees. These people who were skilled, supposedly, in knowing God's Word, and yet they knew about God, they did not know God. Now it's true, it's possible to know about something and not know that particular topic. Well, this is what it was with the Pharisees. They knew about God, but they didn't know God. And so in verse 53 of John chapter 8, The Pharisees are speaking to Jesus, and here's what they say. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead, and the prophets that are dead? Whom do you make yourself out to be? Great question, but it was asked satirically. The question is, who are you? Who do you make yourself out to be, Jesus? Well, you know, it's interesting because if you study world religions, and we have kind of a chart, and and I'll try to get it up in the back of the church again, so you can see what all the different religions of the world say, who Jesus Christ is, what salvation is, what eternity is like, and all those things. But what's really amazing, when you really look at different world religions, who Jesus is, you get a myriad of answers. Some believe he was a great prophet, a great teacher. There's Buddha, Muhammad, Jesus, and the rest. Some say that Jesus was Satan's brother. Some say Jesus was Michael the archangel. Some say Jesus was not really ever real. He was a phantom. Well, the Pharisees actually asked Jesus this question, who do you make yourself out to be? Who are you? 
I think it's an important question for every single believer to have defense for your faith. And I've shared this many times. There's nothing more embarrassing when you're sharing your faith with somebody and they pose a question to you and you really do not have an answer for it, yet you know what the truth is. Well, who do you make yourself out to be? Verse 54, Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. He's saying here, it's my Father in heaven who honors me. How did the Father honor Jesus Christ? I think that's an important thing. We see God's honor in immutable signs and wonders that Jesus did. In other words, the lame walk, the blind saw, the deaf hear, and we saw the other miracles, Jesus walking on the water, feeding the 5,000 with the loaves and fishes, the men. And so we find that Jesus's approval came from his Father in heaven. It is my Father who honors me, of whom you say he is your God. Yet you have not known him. Because I know him, and if I say I do not know him, then I'd be a liar like you. But I do know him, and have kept his word. By the way, there's an honor, and there's power in keeping God's word. In other words, God fortifies you and allows you to do what God wants you to do because you stand for him. And he says, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, saw it, and was glad. Now, this is an interesting statement Jesus makes here. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, saw it, and was glad. Now, this is what's really important here, because there's a lot of distortions that come along in the cults to tamper with what we're about to read. It says that Abraham rejoiced to see my day, saw it, and was glad. This is not future tense speaking. It is very, very clear in the original language what Jesus was talking about because the Pharisees immediately picked up on it in the very next verse. The Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old and you've seen Abraham? Whoa, how is this? Now, when we study the Bible, and you look at what the Bible says who Jesus Christ is, he's always been. Depending on what religion you get into, some say, well, Jesus was in the mind of God in the Old Testament, but he didn't exist before he was born in Bethlehem. Well, that's absolutely false, because again, right here, Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, saw it, and was glad. Now, This is important because they said, you're not yet 50 years old and you've seen Abraham? Yep, that's right. You see, Jesus has always been. In fact, if we go back to the book of Genesis, the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The word for God there is the word Elohim, and it's plural. It's speaking of a plurality of gods. Now, we're not talking about Zeus and Hermes and Buddha and all these other ideas of what God is. The Bible, the rest of the Bible, tells us who this Elohim is, manifested in three personages, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
Now, why is that important? Because when you understand who God is, you'll have a better understanding on who we are, who you are. Why is that? You're a triune being as well, just as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our image. Jesus wasn't speaking to the angels. The Father wasn't speaking to the angels. The Holy Spirit wasn't speaking of the angels. And by the way, there's nowhere anywhere in Scripture you will ever find angels create anything. They are messengers. They are warriors. They are protectors, but they do not create. This is something interesting God gave to us as human beings. We have offspring. We have children. We have relationships. We have all these different things. But angels do not procreate. The Bible doesn't ever speak of that happening. And so when we look at this, he says, you're yet 50 years old and you've seen Abraham? Yep, Jesus has always been. By the way, we've talked about this many times, but when we understand who God is, a triune being, you understand why Jesus looked at Nicodemus um, and said in John 3, you must be born again. Why is that? Something died in the garden that day when man sinned, rebelled against God. Oh, they still had a body. They still had thoughts, but there was something lacking inside of them. That's why Jesus said that spirit of God needs to be born back in you. Uh, In other words, you're not a full triune being again until you accept Christ as your Savior. And again, there is that breakdown between the body and the mind where we know that certain behaviors are going to kill us, but we do them anyway. Well, what's wrong? There's no spirit to reinforce what our mind knows what we should be doing. And so understanding Jesus has always been. When did Jesus meet Abraham? I think, that's a, I think that's a good question. When did Jesus meet Abraham? If what Jesus is saying here, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, saw it and was glad. They said, you're not yet 50 years old and you've seen Abraham? Well, interestingly enough, there is a close encounter of the real kind. And we find it in Genesis 14. You might want to write this down in your Bible. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to. But I would be able to encourage you to do this so that way you can defend when somebody comes to you and says, oh no, Jesus never existed until he was born in Bethlehem. You can simply point him to a couple of important places in Scripture. Interesting thing. We remember Lot, Abraham's nephew, Began to, his servants began to fight with Abraham. There was not enough area to support their flocks and everything. So Abraham said, you pick Lot where you want to go and I'll go the opposite way. The Bible tells us that Lot looked towards Sodom and Gomorrah, which was like the well-watered garden of Eden. And so Lot says, that's where I want to be. I want to be down there where it's plush and nice and good. So he went down there. Well, it just so happens, because it was plush, nice, and good, other kings recognized the plenty of the land. And the Bible tells us five kings joined together to come against Sodom and Gomorrah and the place where Lot was living. Well, they came and invaded. They took all the booty, and they took Lot as well. Now, this is about 2,000 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And so word came to Abraham saying uh, 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 there there was an invasion and and there was these kings and they came and they hauled off your your nephew and, and he's now a slave. Abraham said, you know, that's not right. 
though horribly outnumbered, Abraham said, we're going to go get him. So we remember that Abraham went and took his servants, divided them up. He did a surprise attack at night, got Lot back, and a bunch of booty that these kings had taken. Well, verse 17 in Genesis chapter 14 says, And the king of Sodom went out to meet him, speaking of Abram, in the valley of Sevah. That is the king's valley. By the way, I I don't think that a lot of times these names are meaningless in the Bible because, again, Jesus said, search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life, they are which testify of me. Uh, The king of Sodom and Abraham meet in what's called the king's valley. What happens here? After the return from the defeat of Chedorlaomer, and the kings who were with him. So the king of Sodom, the loser, <laughs> he, was the, he, he didn't win. What won the battle, and actually there was four kings against five, what won the battle was not them, but just Abram, the blessing of God in his life, goes and conquers these kings, gets all the stuff back, gets his nephew back, and the first person that shows up is the king of Sodom a Satan type, if you will, shows up. And also it says, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. In the Hebrew, it's the word El Elyon. That's the name in which the Gentiles knew the great God by was El Elyon, the Most High God. Now notice this. You have in this Valley of the Kings, You have king of Sodom, you have Abram, and you have the king of peace. You have Melchizedek show up. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, and by the way, again, the word Salem means peace. King of peace brought out bread and wine. What is that reminiscent of? Anybody know? Communion. You you see, this king came out and met him. Now notice Satan met him, or the king of Sodom, and we also find Melchizedek, king of peace, met Abraham. Who are you going to listen to? I think it's important. Notice Melchizedek blessed him and said, blessed be Abram, God of the most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Very clearly, Melchizedek told Abraham, your victory was not because of your strong right arm and the sunshine on your shoulder and a bucket of, bucket of water. It was because God delivered your enemies into your hand. Something always important to know. God will deliver your enemies into your hand because he loves you you. Do you think as a Christian, you do not have enemies? I guarantee you, if you've accepted Christ as your savior, the war has begun. A lot of people say, well, I don't know if there's a devil. I don't know if there's God. Except Christ Jesus as savior, you will know the devil is real. He'll come hammer on you. He'll hammer on you in the morning. If I had a hammer, I'd hammer. You know the story, the song. 
Well, he'll hammer on you all the time. Why is that? Because God has an ordained purpose for your life. I really believe that, friends. No one has ever been like you ever here before. No one will ever be here like you ever again. You are unique for God's purpose. And because you're unique for God's purpose, the devil wants to destroy that because of the lives in which you will influence for the kingdom of heaven through your life. And if the devil can't can't, um, stop you in your tracks, he'll try to discourage you in all that you try to do for him. Now notice it says, he blessed him, who's delivered your enemies into your hand, then Abram gave a tithe of all. Now, this is interesting. This is a pre-law principle that Abraham just felt overwhelmed to give a tithe to Melchizedek because he recognized that he was from the Most High God. Now, a couple of things. First of all, long before the Levitical lineage of the priesthood for the nation of Israel. Here you have a priest that shows up, for all intents and purposes, a Gentile. We talked about that last week when Jesus was talking about how Naaman, who had leprosy, was healed. There was Jewish people who had leprosy in the land of Israel, yet God chose to heal a Gentile over some Jewish person. Boy, this was what really riled them up when they were so angry with Jesus, they took him to the edge of the cliff and they were going to push him off. Well, here you find Melchizedek. The Bible here says, we don't really know who he is. Or do we? Well, we'll read about this in a second. Now, the king of Sodom said to Abraham, and by the way, after this great spiritual encounter with Melchizedek, This priest shows up, king of peace, brings him out bread and and wine. They sat down. He pronounces a blessing upon him. And by the way, moms and dads, I do believe you can pronounce a blessing upon those that you love because you're a Christian. And you need to do that when it comes to your children. You need to do that when it comes to your family gatherings. Pronounce a blessing upon them. God loves you. He'll do what you say. So pronounce a blessing upon him. The king of Salem did this, Melchizedek, and Abraham's response was he paid him a tithe. Now, in the midst of this great spiritual encounter, Abraham has just experienced a great victory on a confederation of kings. If you read earlier, you can read it on your own there if you back up. He sent them all a-running in the middle of the night. God was with them, confused the enemy. They all took off running, left all the goodies behind. Abraham and his servants all scrape it all up and bring it all home. And who shows up? King of Salem. He wants something. What does he want? The king of Sodom said to Abram, Now notice this. This is really weird, everyone. The king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the persons and you take the goods for yourself. Isn't that the way it is? Isn't that what the message of Satan really is? I want the people, you take the goods. And yet so often, so many Christians pursue the things rather than people. 
And yet that's the very thing that the king of Sodom recognized was where the true value was. It wasn't in the things. He said, you take the things for yourself. I want the people. What do you think the devil wants in this world? He wants the people. He'll do whatever he's got to do. But who does he go after? He goes after the person who has been blessed by God, blessed by Melchizedek, and saying, you take the junk, I get the people. But Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up my hand to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and the earth. I will take nothing from a thread of a sandal strap. I will not take anything that is yours, lest you would say, I have made Abram rich. You know, very clearly, Abram wanted not only himself, but everybody else to know, and notice that, lest the people say that God is the one that has blessed me. You know, it's unfortunate sometimes people turn to the world to be blessed, even as Christians. But that's not what God wants. What God wants from you is you to recognize him as your provider, as your heavenly father. He will bless you. And what's important is the people, not stuff. Let's go over one other place. Let's go over to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews 7. And the reason why we're going to go there is because we find in Hebrews chapter 7 who Melchizedek is. Now, it's funny, we find this in the New Testament written. The book of Hebrews, of course, was written to the Jewish believing brethren. And notice what we find here in Hebrews 7 concerning Melchizedek. Again, flashback where Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, saw it, and was glad. The Pharisees said to him, you're not yet 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? Well, who is this Melchizedek? Where is the only other encounter that we find anywhere? Now notice chapter 7, verse 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, the same one we just read about a second ago, way back 2,000 years before Jesus. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, which means peace, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham in the return from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. Okay. Now, who is Melchizedek? This next verse will give us a little insight here. Without father... Without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of days, but made like the Son of God who remains a priest continually. Abraham rejoiced to see my day, saw it, and was glad. I believe Jesus was directly referencing when he met Abram in the return of the slaughter of the kings. Now, what is amazing here, it says, without father, without mother, without genealogy, neither having a beginning of days nor end of life. By the way, I don't know anybody like that. Everybody I know usually has a mom or a dad. Usually everybody has some kind of genealogy. Melchizedek just shows up and Abraham is compelled 
to recognize what he did. Notice it says, but made like. The word in the Greek here for made like means an exact copy, a carbon copy. Exactly. I think that's amazing. But an exact copy of the Son of God remains a priest continually. Why do you need a priest? Well, a priest does a couple of things. The first thing a priest does is represent God to the people. And by the way, the Bible says we are now a kingdom of priests. We represent God to the people. But the second thing that happens, we, re- God, we represent God to the people and then the people to God. We're a mediator. We intercede. We become involved in people's lives, not in meddling, but in help. To say, as a matter of fact, there's a God who's strong, who can save you, who can deliver you. Thanks for joining us on It's Time as Pastor Mike teaches verse by verse through the Bible. If you've missed a program or would like to catch up, you can do so by getting it from the It's Time podcast in the iTunes store or by downloading it from the It's Time website at theriverchristianfellowship.com. On behalf of Pastor Mike and the rest of us here at the River Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening. And tune in next time for It's Time.